In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and beginning with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast. Today on our show, we're going to be talking about a very bold claim, why the future of civilization depends on true religion. Our guest today is Brandon McGinley, a co-author of the book with Dr. Scott Hahn. And before we get started, I just want to encourage all of our listeners to check out the St. Philip Institute website, where you'll find all of our resources for implementing a teaching structure according to Bishop Strickland's Constitution on Teaching um, throughout the Diocese of Tyler or any diocese. We have materials for youth, teens, adults, sacrament preparation, NFP, marriage formation, and marriage enrichment. Uh, We also have rosaries and artwork for sale. So check us out and um, look at all of our other, I believe this is number 51 episode. So we have over a year's worth of podcasts there now. In the podcast, we try to put issues relevant to our, our lives today on the table and examine them in the light of faith. And today we're talking about culture, civilization, and why it depends on true religion. This is a wonderful book that uh, Dr. Scott Hahn and Brandon McGinley have written. Um, And it, it surveys the idea that religion is a form of justice. Um, and we're going to ex- break that open and talk about it some more and why you can't separate your personal faith from the way societies are built. Let me tell you a little bit about Brandon first. Brandon is a Catholic writer and speaker. He lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and his work has been in uh, Washington Post, First Things, The Catholic Herald, Uh, Plow and the Lamp, among other venues, and he has another book titled The Prodigal Church, Restoring Catholic Tradition in an Age of Deception. He's a Catholic speaker around the country, talks about everything from Catholic family life to friendship to church renewal. Um, He graduated from Princeton University in 2010. He met his wife Katie there, and they have five young children, if you count the one who's about to be born in a couple of months. Welcome, Brandon. It's so nice to have you here on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. We're very interested in what you're saying in your book here. Um, To quote Jeffrey Myris, who uh, wrote an endorsement for it, he said it's a a bold claim that true religion is a matter of fundamental justice in our relationship with God. Um, and Al Cresta said uh, this lie, and I, I know we've all heard this lie, that religion is designed for individuals 
but not for society. Keep it to yourself. Um, I found that very intriguing. Um, And even what Bishop said in his endorsement, religion is meant to reconnect us to the very source of who we are, beings created by a loving creator. So can you sort of in a nutshell outline the basic thesis of your book there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, the the, the fundamental uh, idea is that if religion is a matter of justice, that is to say, the justice that we owe to God, a justice that we cannot fully replay, that we cannot fully repay, but that we can get as close as humanly possible through the act of worship and through the act of love, of charity, of, and of organizing our lives around the truth of, of God and of the Trinity and of the church. Uh, if that is a matter of justice, in the, we could say, the vertical axis of justice, then the horizontal axis of justice, that is to say, the duties we owe to one another as human beings, the duties that we owe to one another that make society and civilization possible, they depend on that horizontal, excuse me, on that vertical axis of justice. You could say then that justice is cruciform and the, the horizontal depends on the vertical. And so we should not be surprised then that a civilization such as ours that has forgotten what true religion is, that has forgotten and at times outright uh, uh, explicitly spurned the idea that certainly society and even families and communities and even individual lives should be ordered comprehensively around some idea of what truth is, let alone God himself. We shouldn't be surprised that such a society is also one that is riven with injustice in the worldly sense, in the temporal sense. And uh, the fundamental thesis then of the book is that the future of that civilization, the future of our civilization, depends on recovering that vertical axis of justice, that justice that we owe to God. And that is what religion is, not just a sociological construct in which there are several religions that all have some vague claim on truth, but religion as justice, religion that therefore is dependent on truth and worshiping the true God in the way that he has prescribed for us to do. Yeah, Brandon, um, that really is, uh, I think, an essential element, and I love the way you've uh, outlined it, and uh, I love the the writing of uh, Dr. Hahn and now you joining him with this book. It's very accessible. And I think that's so necessary in today's world, especially when it comes to religion, because I think a lot of people like to sort of push it off as as something that is so opaque and so, you know, complex and and really meaningless to the modern man and woman. And I I really like your idea that it's a a cruciform connection. Um, What my uh, comment about the book is uh, really rooted in is I love to to recognize that religion is rooted in the same word as ligament. And mm-hmm. what you're talking about is these ligaments of life and truth and beauty that really should bind us all together, certainly binding us to God, but binding us together. And the, the ligaments are, are coming undone uh, for society, yeah. for humanity, for families. So I really think that your book, um, one of the things we hope with 
as we have various authors on these podcasts, is that it, it does promote your book, uh, promotes the opportunity for people to read these books that really can be, bring people back to some essential elements of truth that are so missing in the very rapidly moving um, tweet-based. I, I think I can say that since I tweet, but all the social media, everything is in quick sound bites. And you don't really get those ligaments without really taking the time to see connections. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think, um, you know, the we, we, we too often think that it, to to explain the Catholic faith, which is a complicated, well, it's, it's simultaneously immensely, infinitely complicated and infinitely simple, you might say. But we, we often feel that if we're going to bring the, the deepest, most um, most deeply rooted truths of the faith to the modern world, that uh, we have to do so in a way that um, that that waters them down, that that makes them that ultimately makes them something less than what they really are. And one of the great things about working with Dr. Hahn is having that ability to be able to to, to work with him and in his in his talents and his thinking to be able to say these things that are timeless. Um, to be truly timeless means that they can be and should be articulated today, even though uh, so much of the culture is uh, is antithetical to it, uh, precisely because so much of the culture is antithetical to it. Uh, and even though um, even though the uh, even though we have too often act as if the language isn't there for it, but there is we can we can articulate these things uh, today. Um, and it's precisely because of that, uh, the, the, the corrosiveness of the culture around us, that we need to be willing to, 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 um, to speak these truths uh, and write them and read them and spread them um, boldly. One thing I, I would like to hear about, Brandon, is just that phrase that you use as the title of the book, it is right and just. Of course, we know where that comes from. But what was behind that inspiration of that title? When we first started talking about the book, this was the original title that we talked about, and then yeah, a couple other titles came and went. But this is where we we ended up back at the beginning again, and I'm glad we did because um, you know what what I love what I love about the title is that this is this these are these are you know uh, uh, these are a few words that we say every Sunday at mass, and like so many of the words that we say at mass they um, can become rote, they become words that we say rather than words that we mean or think about or, or deeply consider. But first of all, it's important to note that these, these words in particular are some of the most ancient of the Mass. They have, a, uh, they have a pedigree that goes back, I wanna say, I think it's to the second century. Um, so first of all, this idea that, uh, that the worship uh, that we owe to God is not something extra special, it's not something that uh, that we that we do as a kind of cherry on top of the rest of our life, but that it is right and just. It is um, fundamental to who we are as Christians. It's fundamental to who we are as human beings, and that element of justice is put right in there, right um, right in the mass, and has been for for two millennia. And so it gets at the idea that we aren't. We aren't cobbling together some random bits of uh, of theology from uh, from through the ages and creating this new idea of religion as justice out of nothing. 
And we aren't even just appealing to St. Thomas Aquinas, though, of course, we do appeal to St. Thomas Aquinas. This is a concept that has been fundamental to the self-understanding of the Church from the very beginning. Absolutely. The first time I ever heard the idea that um, religion or worship or prayer or devotion are all matters of justice, of uh, justice being repaying to the other what he's due, and religion being our efforts to try to repay to God what he's due, knowing that we can't. Um, I started to understand what liturgy meant then, how how we're, yeah. you know, as much as we talk about it and argue about it, we're trying like everything to to give God back what he's due, knowing that we can't, but we try so hard to get it right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what I love is, again, connecting to that vertical, the verticality that you speak of. Just before that, in the dialogue, lift up your hearts. Mm -hmm. Lift your yes. hearts to God. And that is yep. part of what is right and just, is making that connection to God again as, as individuals yep. and as a community of faith. Yeah, you know, to, to use the language that you, you used, Bishop, uh, the language of, of connection, the language of, of ligament, that idea is so important because we, uh, it is precisely the connection, the intrinsic connection that we have to God, because he created us. We all, in some sense, sometimes in an attenuated sense, have a, a relationship with him. It's up to us to respond to that. And if we aren't responding to that, we uh, are not going to be as responsive to others. Um, we aren't going to be able to see the dignity that they have and respond to that. And so there's that idea of response too, that that we are we respond to the action of God in creating us. And then precisely by understanding that and living out that relationship, it makes it more possible for us to live in genuine communion with others. There's almost a, a cosmicness cosmic to the whole creation um, purpose and it's not just building civilization it's it's everything I think you make that point in the book that it's it's everything God is everything and so every everything we're trying to do is is thank him for our existence exactly and and you know and one of the one of the other big points we, we make and I think is really important is that you know we, we, we sometimes talk about religion as, um, well, like I said before, about as a kind of a collection of options. But um, the fact of the matter is, or, or of course, in, in, the, in the modern world, we think of religion as optional uh, and, and, and more than optional, uh, alt-right banned from public expression in the sense of, of ordering uh, anything in the public square around it. As if it's possible to order anything about human society around nothing. We will always order ourselves around something. We will always place something on the altar. And so secularism is not only not neutral. Secularism is not only functionally atheist. It's functionally idolatrous because we will always, always order our lives around something. And if we aren't serving God, we're going to be serving. If we aren't serving the one true God, we are going to be serving some other small g God um, of our own making. And it will be a much more jealous God. It will not be a God of love, of goodness. It will be a God. It will be a God of of of, of envy, a God of of covetousness, a God of pleasure, of power, of pride, of profit, something of that nature. And um, and uh, so the the that that kind of uh, the idea that we that we will order our lives around something or someone 
is inescapable. And that way, religion is inescapable. The question is, will it be the true one or not? Absolutely. And uh, what comes to mind as you're talking, Brandon, is is we, we hear a lot about disconnect in today's world. I mean, with COVID and all the things we're dealing with. And the, the logical conclusion of if you don't have right religion, then we become more and more disconnected. And that disconnect really begins to be detrimental to every human being. We're disconnected from God, who we're created in the image and likeness of, and we're disconnected from each other. What comes to mind is no man is an island, and Absolutely. there's too much that is affecting all of us. We, we are being made into islands. We are being isolated. And that movement against religion, that connecting element, um, really the disconnect is devastating for the human family. Yeah, there's there's no question. There's no question. And and, you know, this is one of the great lies that's told about religion, specifically the true religion, is that it is uh, that it is alienating, that it is disconnecting, that it results in division. Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, who could look not just at the world of today, who could look at the world of the last hundred years and say that secularism has brought more people together than uh, than, than faith has? Uh, it's not to say that it's not to say that people don't event, that, that people don't tragically come to blows over supernatural beliefs. They do, but the idea that the idea that secular civilization doesn't come to blows over much less important things is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and, uh, and yeah, and then of course today, when you when you layer on top of the kind of spiritual alienation, the technological alienation of of um of digital life uh you have a situation that is at once um at once uh, oddly stable because people are just so disconnected that it's hard to organize to do anything but also uh, i think extremely incendiary because you have people grasping for something to give their lives meaning, something to give them uh, identity. Identity, that's a big word today. The reason that people are so self-conscious and anxious about forming identities, often around immoral things or around things that certainly can't bear the weight of a human being's self-image, a human being's identity, is precisely because we have lost the idea of an identity that transcends human human life itself of, of an identity in Christ. And when that's gone, then you end up with this, 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 uh, real anxiety. Uh, we, we live in an anxiety ridden world. And, and, uh, it's not to say that a more Christian world would solve all human anxieties. Of course it would not, but it would, I think, result at least in, uh, in a society where people are more sure of who they are what it means to be human, what it means to be themselves, and, and what it means to live well with others. It reminds me of something um, I read. So I, I'm quoting Father Stanley Yockey. Um, he was a physicist and a priest, but he was talking, you know, when I first started reading, I'm a convert, and when I started reading the word cult, in relation to religion, I was like, what are they talking about, cult? What does that mean? But he said... 
Real culture must include an intense attention to questions that most agitate a human being. And of course, it was in the context of, and, and I, I think it fits with your cruciform um, pi picture. There's, there's reason on the horizontal and faith on the vertical. Um, if, if he was talking about the human person, if you're just trying to go through life uh, focusing on science or uh, the things in your surroundings, like what you're going to buy at Walmart, what you're going to have for dinner, what you're going to be when you grow up, you know, if you're just focusing on the things in your life, like a lot of people do, because you're not looking for anything transcendent, you're just kind of, you're kind of walking around with no purpose. And real culture should challenge us to, like you're saying in the book, reunite with God, but real culture should challenge us to ask those bigger questions. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Culture is a culture that is enduring, uh, that um, that is sustainable, that is not merely a culture of fads, mm -hmm. is one that is built on the timeless things, on the enduring things. That is, and and those things can those things, like you said, um, involve contemplation. They involve um, thinking and praying on the biggest and most difficult uh, aspects of what it means to be human. The modern, one of, one of many modern lies is that by brushing that aside, we can live more easily. But it turns out that instead of, of, of a, an unencumbered life, a more free life, what we have is a, a life where all of the little things take on cosmic importance <laughs> yeah. instead of only cosmic things taking on cosmic importance and uh and um and so then we uh we find ourselves we find ourselves buffeted day to day by our social circles by social media by the news by our by the the success of our favorite sports teams <laughs> um and uh and, and without an anchor, without an anchor, uh, uh, you know, I, I love the idea of an anchor in heaven, you know, that uh, where, where, where we are, we are, you know, we, we have an anchor, we're anchored, rooted here, we're rooted here in a really human sense, but anchored, anchored in heaven with something that is, uh, that, that, that cannot shake loose. Yeah. And it, what occurs to me as y'all are, are talking is, we you know, we hear about cancel culture <laughs> and it really is canceling civilization. Uh, and I think that's what a, a lot of your book is really ultimately getting at, is that without true religion, it's a cancelization of, of everything that makes us a human community, um, that, that makes civilization work. And that, I think, is even for those who are so caught up in canceling culture, I don't think they really intend to do what they're threatening us with mm -hmm. is a canceling of civilization yeah yeah i'm we we live in a time of of unintended consequences of unforeseen consequences where um you know like i was saying before where we are promised liberty but it becomes enslavement mm -hmm. to sin to our passions to our desires um the promises of the modern world, the promises of modern liberalism have, uh, the promises of secularism, have all proven themselves empty. The question is, do we 
dig deeper or do we put down the shovel? <laughs> and uh, putting down the shovel is hard because once you've dug deep enough, it's hard to remember what it was like up there in the light. Uh, and it seems like the only way in is the only way out is through. But, uh, but you know, precisely because of the darkness of our times, uh, yes, some people will be, in a sense, blinded by that darkness and, and will be repulsed by light. But also precisely because of the darkness, because of the, the uncertainty, because of the instability, uh, the light will be appealing to more people than it might have been even a few years ago. Uh, whenever it seemed like, oh, maybe maybe think we could go along pretty well without without committing our civilization to God. Maybe we, we could you know, kick the can down the road a little longer. That's looking pretty weak right now. And so, uh, you know, for me... As much as this is a time, as much as in terms of politics and culture, I, I'm rather pessimistic. Uh, the uh, the position of the church, if the church is bold, if the church is imbued, is if the church's witness is imbued by grace and, and not imbued by worldliness, then um, this is potentially an outstanding opportunity to uh, to bring light to a world that uh, that will recognize it in a way that it maybe hasn't in a while. Yeah, absolutely. The, that I've had a lot of conversations. I think we would all agree that we're in a time where light is is more clearly separated from darkness. I mean, you know, basically a lot of my lifetime, it's sort of been gray and it's sort of been just <laughs> yeah. this amorphous grayness. But the light and dark, the good and the bad, the the true and mm -hmm. the false are are really starting to very much clarify and people are, are taking sides. Um, and that is part of the, the pain that we're going through, I think. But ultimately, uh, that clarification, that stark contrast is, I think, significant. And hopefully, um, I think just like the, the flowers are drawn to the light by nat natural means. I mean, they just follow the light. And uh, I think that's natural for us as well, even though with our intellects and with our free will, we can choose to turn to the darkness. And it's kind of like we want to just grasp it. The darkness is ours. We've created it. Yeah. So we want to hold on to it. <laughs> but ultimately, even that we're drawn to light and truth and beauty just in the nat most natural horizontal levels. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And recognizing that and, and especially in times like now, like like I said, I'm I'm you know, when it comes to when it comes to the when it comes to questions of, of this world, I'm rather pessimistic, but it's important not to become a grouch and not to become a uh, not to become a kind of constant constant uh, killjoy. There are beautiful <laughs> things right now, even now. And uh and in 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 identifying identifying those aspects of truth that can draw people deeper, those little flickers, those little reflections uh, of light, and say, okay, you find this beautiful, you find this true, something about this is alluring. Now let's go deeper and find what it is reflecting, mm -hmm. uh, instead of just getting you know bedazzled by uh, mm -hmm. by by the natural goodness itself. In the last part of your book, you have three chapters. Um, True religion integrates individuals' lives. True religion gives form to families. True religion brings unity to society. 
Can you say more about that middle one? True religion gives form to families. Yeah. Yeah. You know, families are the sinews that hold civilization together. And they are the, not only do they hold civilization together, but they are kind of the, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to use the title of one of Dr. Han's most recent books. They are the first society, mm-hmm. which means that they give, um, that they not only, not only do they, do they form the kind of uh, raw materials of, of society, but they also um, give uh, the, the form that society takes. It comes from the family. So families that are dis- disjointed, dysfunctional, that are uh, dis- disintegrating results in a disintegrating society. Whereas families that are marked by a true integration, not just in the sense of staying together as a nuclear family, and not even just in the sense, although the very important sense of staying together as an extended family through place and time, but also an integrated family in the sense of being integrated with the life of faith, where, where the, uh, where the, um, uh, where there's no, where there's no separation between the, the life of faith and, uh, and, and, and some sort of quasi secular life of the family, as if that's even possible. Um, and so, and a family that is families that are integrated in that way, will form, will give form to a society that is more integrated in that way. You know, I think that one of the biggest uh, issues, one of the biggest concerns for the church over the past few generations has been the assumption that we can have a, uh, what they would call, what what they had, what we talked in the past about the naked public square, the idea of a public square that is officially secular, uh, that we can have officially secular public lives while still being religious in our private lives. The idea that that could coexist with robustly faith-filled families, but rather than these two coexisting, that ethic of disintegration, of of, um, of dissipation, trickled down to where families began to think, uh, I would say, and I, 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 I don't think I'm too far, I don't think I'm off base here, I think that... I think that a lot of people would see this in their own experience and the experience of those that they've seen, certainly of my generation, where the family became a quasi-secular, quasi-public space where it was a little uncomfortable to talk about that Jesus guy, even in the home, because we have been so taught, so imbued, so catechized with the notion that the two places you can be religious are within the four walls of the church and inside our own heads— that even the family becomes seen as, uh, you know, you know, I don't want to force this on the kids. If they like it when they get older, maybe they'll maybe they'll want to do it. But, you know, it's just a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't want my kids to be uncomfortable with their friends. You know, that's, you know, that kind of that ethic that is a disintegrating, a dissipating ethic. Um, when society is organized that way, it trickles down to the family. And then it kind of trickles back up again. Um, and so families give form to society. Uh, true religion gives form to families, and the families give form to society by uh, by setting the conditions for a genuinely integrated family life that, uh, as we were saying before, the ligaments of faith, the ligaments, the supernatural ligaments that connect us to God are then actualized in the family and then can spread out to the world around us. The domestic church. <laughs> yep. There we go. Yep. Yep. 
That's a concept I didn't know about until I was in my 20s. I, I didn't know. What's it that? It sounds like, what? Does a priest come to your house and say mass? Like, what does that mean? Um, and uh, I mean, that would be great. But, you know, <laughs> but that's but that that kind of thing where um, where where were these ideas that are. And it's not even like it's not even like it's like some sort of super traditional lost idea. It's right there in the catechism. It's right there. And yet um, it's the, one of the things that we just kind of let lapse. Yeah. You end the book with love, I noticed, um, which it, that, that's the whole point. It's all it, God is love. Yeah. And we're trying to I mean, love is another one of those words that I think a lot of people really struggle with defining um unless you're catholic i don't see really how you have the the words to describe it i'm reading a line that just struck me at the very end of the book where you you're you're talking about love and how it's this this um drive to reunite with god is is about love because we love god and we're we're trying to give that to be in love with god you said love is the very grammar of existence that gives meaning. And it just, um, I thought it was beautiful that you ended the book, that the book ends that way with the last chapter, the future of civilization depends on true religion. It's about loving each other. I mean, anyone can understand that, but to really grasp it takes a lot more thought. I think, you know, you know, I think it can be easy today, especially as we are going about the, the business of recovering a lot of uh, Catholic ideas that have kind of fallen into uh, disrepair or have been kind of, la you know, fallen into kind of laxity or lapsed or been lapsed. It can be easy to get so taken in by uh, the intellectual side of things, by uh, by by, uh, you know, trying trying to boldly recover these truths that um that it can become and i and i say this as someone that this is a very this is a temptation that's very real for me as someone who was drawn to the faith who came back to the church in college as very much an intellectual reversion um and it can be easy to think of the whole thing as a kind of intellectual system that all holds together. And it, uh, it does. It's one of the things that's really beautiful about the faith is that it is an intellectual system that holds together. But it is more than that. It is. And so as we are recovering the idea of what it means for religion to be a form of justice and for that to be something that organizes society, um, it's important to remember that the end game here isn't power. It isn't. Uh, it, it isn't. Um, uh, it isn't reorganizing society for the sake of being the one to do it. It is to create a genuinely more beautiful, more loving society, and that begins with each one of us. Not just embracing the faith as a series of intellectual propositions, um, but as a way of being in the world. One that accords with that grammar of existence itself one that accords with love and when you know so much of the book is about the city of harmony too where we are living in harmony with god it makes it more possible for us to live in harmony with one another similarly when we are living in harmony with part of living in harmony with god is is to be in a sense in harmony with the existence itself and there's that that idea of grammar again that idea that that the thing that gives meaning 
that that uh, that gives meaning to life itself is um, is uh, is love. And so when we are not loving, we are um, even in even if we have gotten all our intellectual ducks in a row, but we aren't loving. We have not only fallen short, but we are in a sense uh, living in a dis living uh, in a kind of dissonance uh, with God and with the world. And so the the challenge, and this is the challenge, certainly not something that any of us have uh, have quite nailed down yet, is to get those you know to get the intellectual side to to you know as far as far as far as our minds can grasp it you know uh, figure that all out, but then then unite it with a life of service, a life of love of God and love of neighbor. Without love, we are nothing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here to talk about your book. Um, uh, we are going to wrap up now, although I always hate to cut it off after 30 minutes, but we have a podcast, <laughs> and <laughs> um, Bishop will um, give us a blessing. We just want to thank you before we end. Thank you for coming and joining us. Can you tell us real quickly where we can find out more about your work and about the book? Absolutely. Yeah, you can uh, You can find uh, It Is Right and Just at uh, Emmaus Road Publishers' website uh, and wherever Catholic books are sold. Uh, as for me, I have a website. It's uh, just brandonmcginley.com, and you can find out more about me and what I'm up to there. Thank you, Brandon. Very good. Thank you. Um, this was a real Thank you. And let me just say before the blessing, um, I would encourage you and Dr. Hahn to collaborate more mm -hmm. because we need things that are, are right and true uh, to, to help reform our civilization. So just encourage you to, uh, to continue working. Thank you. I, yeah, I, 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 think, I think there's a good chance of that. So I, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> Very good. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God, we ask your blessing for Brandon and Dr. Hahn and all of those who have assisted in this great work of It Is Right and True. It is uh, a blessing that we have the opportunity to live in your grace and love. We ask you to guide us to celebrate that gift and to be more and more connected to you and to your love. May the Blessed Virgin Mary intercede for us individually, as families, and as the community of God's children. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.